All right, you are there in 2 Peter chapter 3, and um, we will look at that in uh, just a moment. Uh, he was last seen in the cockpit of his F-A-18 fighter jet, Scott Spiker, I think it is. His plane never made it back from combat mission in the Persian Gulf War. For years, Scott was presumed dead. But as facts were revealed and more facts were found out about the details of the incident that brought his plane down, there began to be more and more doubt about the verdict that he had been killed in action, that his plane had been shot down. And so finally, the Pentagon, a number of years after, revised the fallen pilot's status to missing in action. Through it all, his family has been doing all they can and trying to get officials to do all they can to see if Scott is even alive. If he is a prisoner in, uh, in Iraq, they still have no idea. The preacher who told the story said, I saw one family member interviewed on television. They were urging an all-out effort on Scott's behalf, and his family member said this, Scott was a strong believer in the doctrine of leave no one behind. After the preacher told the story of Scott, he said, I know someone who's a strong believer in the doctrine of leave no one behind. He is, in fact, the strongest believer of all. The Lord Jesus Christ can't stand for one person to be left behind. For he says in 2 Peter 3.9, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's someone who doesn't want anyone left behind. And today I'd like you to see him and to hear his message. Because he it is who shares with us in 2 Peter chapter 3 that wonderful truth that he wants all men to be saved. Do you realize that having EVS, that sounds like a disease, doesn't it? Having an eternal value system, living for eternity, involves being involved with and concerned about missions. Our passage is going to teach us that, as well as challenge us about a number of other things that God says are important, because there's a day when all those who know him as Savior will go to see him, and there's a day coming when God will judge the lost. And so what God has to tell us at the end of 2 Peter is very important for our lives today. The Bible says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and by the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, 
Be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then, that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, please open our eyes to behold the wondrous things out of your law today. Help us, Lord God, to be stirred with an eternal value system that values souls, that values the importance of living a godly life because our Lord is coming again. And, and I pray this morning that you would just touch our hearts with the wonderful truths that are found here. And, and I pray that no Christian in this room would leave without being stirred being stirred about the powerful truths that your spirit has given to us by inspiration. And so, Lord God, work in our hearts, work in our midst. May we glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. This year, our goal is to urge you to have that eternal value system, E-V-S. Now, that means a lot of things. We already had the opportunity at the beginning of the year to look at Matthew chapter 6. And there are so many other scriptures that talk about the fact that Jesus is coming again and we need to live for eternity. Uh, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness was the challenge we recently heard. But there's so much more to be said. And today in 2 Peter chapter 3, God challenges us to have an eternal value system. To realize there's something coming. And because there's something coming, something needs to be done. And that is what First, Second Peter chapter 3 stirs us about. And quite honestly, we really couldn't stop anywhere. I thought a few times that I might stop at different verses. But if you're going to understand what's going on in this passage, you really needed to hear the whole chapter read. Because the whole chapter is about being ready for the fact that Jesus is coming again. In fact, that is the promise. 
And in fact, we're told in 2 Peter chapter 3 that this was a promise they had heard many times. In fact, uh, the first point in the outline is the promise is repeated. We read in verse 1, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. See, what is going to be shared here in 2 Peter chapter 3 was shared in 1 Peter. You know that? The believers were suffering in, in 1 Peter. You can read about it in chapter 1, and you'll read, and you'll see that he talked about the fact to be a comfort to the believers, Jesus is coming again. And throughout 1 Peter and in 2 Peter, he keeps hitting on that theme and that idea and keeps bringing up the truth that Jesus is indeed coming again. So as we get to the second book that was written, he hits on it, the subject again. I think probably the church was like, well, like some churches get when they hear their preacher preach the same thing over and over. Again? Really? We got to hear that again? Yes, you do. You know why? Because you're like me. You forget things. Or you stop living in light of things. And sometimes things that we know very well, we have to be reminded of again and again and again. And so that's why when you go through the Bible, you'll read over and over in almost every New Testament book, Jesus is coming again. Because that truth needs to be burned in our heart and that truth needs to impact the way that we're living. And that is indeed the challenge of 2 Peter chapter 3 as he repeats the promise uh, again so that these believers might be left. At the end of this book, the last thing he shares with them in this book, they might be reminded Jesus is coming again and what it means to their life. In fact, notice this. He said, I write unto you these things in both which... I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Do you know what the word stir up means? I, I love this. To wake you up. Brethren, wake up this morning to the fact Jesus is coming again. We need to have someone wake us up. Uh, that is the idea of this word. It is very powerful. Ha have you ever had someone wake you out of deep sleep? Or you ever had a situation? You ever have the phone ring in the middle of the night? Say last night. All right, maybe that's the way your night was. I don't know. But if you've ever been awakened, stirred out of sleep, I mean just like shocked out of sleep, that is the idea when he says he wanted to stir up their pure minds. He wanted to wake them up to this reality. He didn't want to just say, okay, okay, time to wake up. Time to wake up. He's saying, wake up! I did that because I see you this morning, all right? And no, no, I didn't. I won't mention any names this morning. No, we, we won't do it. But it's just to wake you up. Um, when I thought about that, I thought about what happened just not too long ago. In fact, I think everyone here knows about it. It made the news. Uh, in our neighborhood, there was, uh, there, were two, uh, there was a couple, a guy and a girl in a car, and um, I guess they had been drinking or something. Don't know. I haven't heard much about it since. But they came speeding through our subdivision, and um, we heard a car revving, an engine revving, Heard a couple of loud pops, sounded like gunfire. And let me tell you something. When you wake at, what, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, and you hear something that sounds like gunfire, and you hear engines revving, and, uh, you know, you have a tendency to kind of wake up a little bit more than just kind of like, what's going on? It's like, what's going on? What happened? Uh, and right away we are awake. Do you know that is the idea of what the author was saying. He said, look, people, we need to be really awakened. 
we need to be stirred up about. We need to we need to be aware of the fact, not just aware of it, but we really need to be fully awake to the truth. Jesus is coming again. He is. And that should impact every day of our life. Now, we were woken up fully. That's not the way you say it, I know. When the car was revving, and when we heard the pops, we were awake fully. And God wants us to be awake fully to the fact this morning that Jesus is coming again. And he wants us to think, because he tells us over and over that we are to be mindful. Notice uh, the, the word, verse 2, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken. So he didn't just want to wake him up, but then he said, I want to remind you, and I want you to be mindful of this, and I want you to have this firmly in your mind. So this morning, wake up, think. Oh, that's a crime on Sunday morning, isn't it? But that's what God calls you to do from this passage, and that's what God wants us all to do. So he wants to wake us up about the, his coming. He wants to remind us of what's going to happen uh, because of his coming. And uh, in fact, the fact is he wants to remind us he is coming. God is not slack. I love what it says in verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Now, he's not late or tardy. That's what it means when he says he's not slack concerning his promise. God isn't late. He's on time. He's always on time. Everything is right on time. It's as scheduled. Now, that doesn't seem like it to us, does it? I mean, it's been 2,000 years since he came the, the, the first time, some 2,000 years, and who knows how long it's going to be before he comes again. But God's timetable is perfect, always has been. In the fullness of time, Jesus came the first time, according to the book of Galatians. And in the fullness of time, God will come again. He's promised that. He is not slack concerning his promise. He's not tardy. He's not late. He hasn't forgotten. He hasn't uh, had things that messed up his schedule, and so he's late. Wow, I understand that, don't you? Uh, he hasn't had things come about that he said, oh, I didn't expect that at all. Man, that's going to change things as far as the time of my coming. No, no, the Lord's just waiting. He's biding his time. There is a perfect time, and he is coming Again, so that is the promise. God wants to wake us up to that fact. He wants us to think about that fact, and he wants us to remind us that his coming is going to happen, even though it may not seem like it at times. It's also to give us hope about the future. Verse 13, Nevertheless we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. I don't know about you, but every time I, I hear anything going on in Washington, D.C., I look for the day when we have righteousness in America. I don't know if we'll call it America then. It won't really matter. But I look forward to the day when righteousness will rule. Don't you? <laughs> don't you? When I, when I hear about decisions being made, I hear about, about the, the people that are being punished and the people that are allo allowed to live their lives and do whatever they want. When I see their lives as, and I know them to be godless and wicked, and I think, man, this is terrible. I look forward to the day when righteousness will rule on this earth, and it will for a thousand years. You realize that? For a thousand years, everything will be right. Everything will be done right. Righteousness will be done all the time, every time. That is a day to look forward to. And the writers of Scripture continually reminded us of that truth so that we could look for that promise and say, He's coming again. Man, there's a better day coming. 
And I am looking forward to that day, and I hope you are as well. And so we have this command in Scripture, this promise that is repeated in Scripture to encourage our hearts today, to give us hope about the future, to remind us He is coming, and to wake us up about some things we need to know. Now we have some particulars that are revealed in our Scripture. And I wish we had time to delve deeply into all the wonderful truths of this chapter because, quite honestly, it'd take me six years to preach 18 verses. You know that. Take me longer than that, I'm sure, to get through 18 verses. But this morning, I'm going to try to cover 18 verses, and I can't do it adequately. Sorry. You say, you never do it adequately. All right, well, that's probably true as well. But this morning, we have 18 verses that are packed with so much information and so many valuable things that could help your life and really give you some direction and purpose in life. In fact, I really want to encourage you to, to maybe read this every day this week, chapter 3, because it'll encourage you to have that eternal value system. And as you read it through, you will find some just amazing particular truths that God reveals uh, in this passage that we need to know. Uh, notice, if you would, in verse 2, he says that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. You know what he reveals, first of all, one of the particulars that's important? The source of the truth that we hear about Jesus coming again is impeccable. I mean, that's, that source is reliable. Notice what he says. The truths were spoken, first of all, by the holy prophets. Do you know that Peter wrote earlier, actually I think it's in 1 Peter, he said, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We heard about Jeremiah this morning. Jeremiah spake as he was moved by the Holy Ghost. He wrote down things and God had Baruch write down things so that we might know even today truth from God. God took the time in the Old Testament to write out things. And do you know what they wrote about in the Old Testament? There's a coming Messiah. There's a coming kingdom. They write about everything the New Testament tells us. And they tell us that there is a coming Savior, that there is a day when righteousness will rule on this earth. There's coming a day when God will deal with Israel again. The church is not Israel. There's coming a day when God is going to restore uh, the kingdom of, of Israel and he's going to rule and reign with a rod of iron on this earth. The book of Daniel tells us a lot about those days, and so do many of the prophets in the Old Testament. They wrote about these things. But get this, it wasn't just them. The apostles that followed Jesus Christ after he came the first time and left wrote down things so that you and I would know, hey, listen, Jesus is coming again. And although it's been thousands of years, and although it may be still thousands of years, we don't know. The fact of the matter is Jesus will keep his word. And the prophets and all remind us of that fact. The source of truth is impeccable. It comes from God. It was given through godly men who tell us the truth of Scripture that we might know. And so the source of truth is impeccable. But do you know what else we're told in these verses? We're told starting in verses 3 to 7, which I wish we had more time to delve into. But in those verses, they tell us that the stay or the, um, I'm sorry, they tell us that the scoffers are unquestionable. Not only is the source impeccable, but the scoffers are unquestionable. And that's true. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. And they're going to say, where's the promise of his coming? And you read through these verses, 
And the world acts like, and by the way, they do that even today, don't they? Uh, why do I need to be concerned about things that are going on in this world? I'm just going to live my life? Live for, live for today. Fulfill my desires. Just do whatever I want to do. You know, just whatever it takes to make me happy. I'm going to live for today because, look, I this promise of his coming, the words of judgment, why do I need to worry about those things? Just live for today. And it's been thousands of years. The world, since it began, has, has run the same way. And boy, are they willingly ignorant. In fact, you can't find many today that believe in a worldwide flood, but God did destroy the world one time, and he will again someday, and then there will be a judgment. And those who are not found written in the book of life, according to Revelation chapter 15, will be cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 20:15. I'm sorry. And that, my friends, is a very fearful day. But a lost world doesn't concern itself with that. They scoff the idea that what God said is true. And so they just live their lives for themselves, doing what they want. Well, you know, as a Christian, sometimes you can look at things and wonder, well, thousands of years, is he really going to come again? Do you know that the stay, the delay, is explained in this passage? It is. In verses 8 and 9, we have two reasons uh, why he isn't coming, or he hasn't come yet. All right, first reason is because divine timing is different than man's timing. Because God is eternal. So with the Lord, uh, you know, one day is like, well, a thousand years. And a thousand years is just like a, a day. It's hard to imagine that, isn't it? My folks have gone on to be with the Lord. It's, it's been a couple years from my mom, more from my dad. And I think it's been a long time since they've been gone. But it hasn't been a long time with God. It hasn't, hasn't, even been, hasn't even been a fraction of a day. I mean, even if it were 50 years ago my parents passed away, it still wasn't long as far as God's timetable is concerned. That's what he reveals in verse 8. Beloved, be not ignorant of this. Don't be ignorant of, of this thing. One day is with the Lord as a thousand years. A thousand years is as a day. It's like nothing. And, and, uh, and, and one day, it seems like forever. Isn't that amazing thought? Time is nothing to God. You say, well, time is important to us. Yes, and God does have a time. But he doesn't think like we do, thankfully. And the next verse tells us another reason why. And it's very important. It's because God doesn't want to leave anyone behind. Look at what he tells us. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. He's not late. He's not tardy, as men would think. But he's long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Divine timing is different. Divine thinking is different. How do men think? Well, I'll tell you how, how Christians should think. We live in a wicked world. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Man, things are bad. How could they be making, how can they be saying that marriage is between a man and a man when God says it isn't? That's impossible. 
How could they be allowing uh, the, the killing of babies on a daily basis and not be concerned about it? How could our government make the decisions and pass the laws that they're passing? How could these things be going on? And we say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. The Lord doesn't look at it that way. Listen to me, Christian. This really is important. You know how the Lord looks at it? These people are showing me that they need me. And I'm going to wait until that last one comes in the fold. And every decision that's made by the government where we say, wow, this world's wicked. The Lord has to come now. God says, this world's wicked. I want them to be one. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Here's the truth. Right now, this very moment, the reason why Jesus hasn't come yet is because there's someone else to be one. There's someone else to be one. It could be your neighbor. Now, I, I told you what, what my mom said once, and it's always stuck in my mind, and I, I just love to share it. I always think of it when I think of this verse. But she says this, every time I share the gospel with someone, I, I try to remind myself of this truth. This may be the last one. This may be the one the Lord is waiting on. So, so think about it. In all seriousness, ever thought about the, the, the lady at the cash register that you're con contemplating giving a track to might be the last one who needs to come to Christ before he comes again. He's not slack concerning his promise. He's waiting because others need to be saved. Because he's not willing that any should perish. He wants all to come to repentance. And so the more time we have, the more opportunities we have. The more time he gives us, the more opportunities for people to come to him and be saved and be part of heaven someday. And that is where God's heart is. That is the truth of this passage. And so he says, wake up. Wake up to the fact that God is waiting for that last one. God is waiting for all men. He just wants more to come to faith in Christ. Divine thinking is different. Our thinking is Let's get this over with. Lord, come and take us to heaven so we don't have to live with this stuff any longer. And God says, I want your neighbor to hear the good news one more time. Tell him. And God says, I don't want anyone to perish. Why should you want me to come and remove the opportunity from your loved one to come to faith? Do you know what one wonderful truth of verse 9 is? No one has to go to hell. No one. Because God isn't willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's his desire. He expresses it clearly. I read a story about when Vice President Calvin Coolidge was in office. He was presiding over the Senate. And there was this huge debate going on, and one senator angrily told another in the middle of this debate, he told him to go straight to hell. And the senator who was spoken to was offended, and he complained directly to the vice president, to Coolidge, as the presiding officer. Coolidge was leafing through a book as he listened to the debate. He hadn't been paying attention at all, but... 
when the guy appealed to him and said, he should had no business telling me that to go to hell, um, Coolidge replied, he said, I've looked through the rule book and you don't have to go. Isn't that a great answer? One of the great truths in this world today is there is a hell, but you don't have to go there. And it's not God who's going to send you there. It's your own choice. Because my God, the God I know and love, is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so he's been waiting. Maybe, maybe he's been waiting for you. Are you part of his family? If you are, maybe he's waiting for your neighbor or your friend or your relative because he wants all men to be saved. I'd sure like the Lord to come again. John even wrote those words even, so come Lord Jesus. But we should never want it at the expense of what God desires. And that is for all men to be saved. Now, see with me that the plan is reasonable. You know, sometimes in Scripture, you've got to dig for some truth, and you've got to kind of mine it out because, well, it's not just there right before your eyes. You have to really think about it. But I appreciate passages like this where you don't have to have a lot of brains to figure out what God wanted you to know and God wanted you to do as a result. Aren't you? I'm thankful that a lot of Scripture... You can just look at it and say, wow, okay, so what am I supposed to do because of this? So we've gotten all the way here, believe it or not, through the first nine or so verses, and we've learned the truth that Jesus is coming again and why he's waited for his coming. All right, so what does that mean? I am so glad you asked. Because God must have in his mind said, people are going to ask, what does that mean? So he lays it out for us real clearly. Look at verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat? So he says, hey, look, look, I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to know. So you, can't, you won't be able to look at this passage and say, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do now. If you do, seriously, um, someone needs to help you because it's so clear in this passage what God expects. All right, what does God expect? Well, let me take you all the way to verse 17. You say, why? Well, I'll explain. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. This is very interesting to me. And I've never seen verse 17. I always just kind of passed over verse 17 before because I thought it was like unimportant. Oh, don't say that. Have you ever just read something and you never really thought that much about it? And so therefore it was unimportant to you, but it's not unimportant. Do you know what verse 17 is doing? It's pointing back to the error of the wicked in the earlier verses of this chapter. Do you know what the wicked say? Jesus isn't coming in. I can live how I want. No big deal. He hasn't come. The world's been the same since the beginning. Why should I expect him to come anytime in the future? Eat, drink, and be married. Do whatever I want. Do you know, sadly, a lot of Christians live that way? 
They do. They don't live with the reality. They don't wake up to the reality. Jesus is coming again. Verse 17 is telling us that. He, see, the, verse 17 is saying we can be just like wicked people. That's scary, isn't it? Christians, Christians, believers can be just like lost people and live their lives daily as if Jesus isn't coming again today and do nothing about what God is concerned about. So don't fall from your own steadfastness, believer. Don't get to the place where you think, oh, okay, he hasn't come. It's been 2,000 years now. Good chance he's not going to come this week. I can do whatever I want to do. No, that's verse 17. In fact, I had missed that verse so many times when in reality, that is the point. Hey, look, don't live like wicked people do. Don't live like lost people do who say, ah, he's not coming today, so it doesn't matter how I live. Understand he is coming and live today and be steadfast for God. Therefore, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because you know your labor isn't in vain. Don't you know that? Because he is risen from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, and 1 Peter, or 2 Peter chapter 3 says, and keep being steadfast for the glory of God because, listen, he's coming again, and we don't know when. It could be today. It could be that someone in China is leading that last person to Christ, and you and I uh, will be in the presence of our Savior uh, in the next hour or two. We don't know how long we have. And since we don't, don't, don't be like wicked people who just get, live through life, go through life every day, big deal, go to church Sunday, and a lot of wicked people in our area go to church on Sunday. And they live like they want the rest of the week, no big deal. God says it is a big deal. Don't fall from your steadfastness. Grow in grace. So the plan is reasonable. Have a growing faith. That really is it. Have a growing faith. Have a growing faith, Christian. Don't stagnate. Don't go backwards. Don't say... He's not coming today. Live every day as if Jesus could come. Wake up to that fact and understand then that I need to be growing in my faith. So how have you grown in grace and in the knowledge of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this past week? Has that happened? A preacher told this story. He said a friend was telling me that her folks had returned from an Alaska cruise, an early summer Alaska cruise. She said they enjoyed the trip a great deal, but she said her dad came home with an observation that impressed him. He said the flowers in Alaska that they saw were huge. He said there's pansies, daylilies, impatiens, all, all had flowers that were just immense. And he even saw dandelions that were six inches across. Now, I have no idea where he was. I have no idea what. But he wondered what kind of fertilizer the Alaskans were using. And when he asked, they said, none. And he said, well, why are the flowers so big? And here was the answer. 20 hours of sunlight. 20 hours of sunlight. With that much exposure to sunlight, anything will grow bigger and stronger. So how much sunlight did you expose yourself to this morning? Uh, the sun's light I'm talking about. How much will you expose yourself to tonight when you have an opportunity to be challenged about missions? Wednesday night. 
Uh, or tomorrow morning when you can open a Bible that you have and millions of people can't say in this world and you can read what God has for you and you can learn about him and you can grow in your knowledge of him. Light, are you going to allow it to impact your life so you can be a, a flower that flourishes for the glory of God? Have a growing faith. That is the challenge of verse 18. It's the challenge of the whole chapter. And if you go back to verse 11 and verse 14, this is, explains further a little bit this growing faith because he tells us to have a pure and a holy life. We should be people who live holy conversation, a holy way of living and godliness. And verse 14 brings out that fact again. We should be found of him in peace, at peace with God, at peace with men, without spot, not having sin in our life, blameless. We ought to be living a holy, pure life that people can look at and say, that guy is a Christian. That lady is a Christian. I know it. It's evident because they're different in the way that they act. And today, uh, sad to say, I think there are a lot of Christians that have, have been led away by the error of the wicked. Oh, Christ won't come today. That's what lost people do. And here's the truth. So do Christians. So have a growing faith. Have a pure, holy life. There was a critic of Christianity. said he had gone to many churches. He heard a lot of preachers. And the preachers all seemed to say this. Don't try to impress God with your works. And don't attempt to please God with your merits. Which, by the way, is good preaching. Because you can't please God with those things and, and such. But... This critic of Christianity had gone to all these churches and, and he, was, he was hearing this preaching that was saying, don't try to keep rules and regulations to win your way to heaven. And he looked around at the cast of characters in those churches and the casual attitude they had toward their faith and he said, well, who's trying? And that's a sad observation that a lot of, a lot of unsaved people can make today about Christians. Who's trying? Now, we know... And the scriptures tell us that no one can work their way to heaven. And you can't earn God's merit because heaven is a, a, eternal life is a gift that God offers by faith in Jesus Christ. And if you've never done that, God offers that gift to you today. But if you're part of the family of God, God expects you to have a growing living faith. So do people see that? Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. The promise is true. Will it make a difference in how you live today? But there's one other truth. And again, we haven't hit on everything. But note how after verse 9, when God tells us he's not willing that any should perish, he hits that subject one more time later on in verse 15. And sometimes it's missed because we want to preach on being holy. And we need to preach on being holy. But in verse 15, he says this, an account, he's talking to Christians, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Look, take it into account. Think about this. Put it in your mind that the reason God's waiting is so people might be saved. Here's the mission's emphasis of 2 Peter chapter 3. Keep in mind that the reason God's waiting is because God's not willing that any should perish. And if you'll keep that in mind, it'll make a difference in what you do this week as far as sharing the gospel. Don't you believe? If you're thinking this week, God's tearing his coming because there's someone else that needs to be saved. 
someone else he wants to be saved. Who is that? And might God use me? If you're thinking that way, don't you think it's going to make a difference in what you do when you go to the store? When you talk to your neighbor? Seriously, a lot of times we just don't think about these things. And so it's no wonder God knew that we would have a tendency to just push it back. And so he took the time to remind us again, I'm coming. I don't want anyone to be lost. I want all to be saved. So Christian, keep that in mind. And as you go about your business, seek to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Because he's not willing that any should perish. And as you go about your business, live a holy life. So you're a right testimony before a lost world. And as you go about your business, um, grow. Give attention to your spiritual life. Because, because Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Do you believe that? Live like it. That is Second Peter 3. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.